Good morning. I am so glad to be here with each and every one of you guys, and, and I hope that being in the round, uh, we're all here connected, we're all here together, and I thank you for being in worship with us this morning. The short passage that I want to read from this morning is one that, that, that maybe is brand new to you, or, or maybe for some of you, you've heard it before. It's from the, the book of Jeremiah, which is in the Old Testament. It's a prophet. Jeremiah was a prophet. And it's Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. I'm only going to read verse 11 right now. Jeremiah 29, 11. And, and, and maybe these words will ring true. Maybe they'll sound more familiar once you hear them. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Will you pray with me? Most loving God, will you give us the ears, the eyes, the understanding to understand your word, but also to live it out. May we not only learn about you, may we learn from you. And we thank you for the gift of your word and the gift of your calling. And I pray that we can respond to your word, that we can respond to your calling. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me take you back to a small town in North Carolina. It's called Swan Quarter, North Carolina. We're going back to the year 1876. This is a totally true story, okay? There was a group of devout Methodists who had been meeting in various homes and various businesses and office places, and they felt that it was finally time to build their own church. They didn't have a whole lot of money. They, they found the perfect piece of property that was on a beautiful sloping hill, but the guy who owned it was kind of a miserly old guy, and he refused to sell it to the church. So the church had to go to plan B. They found another piece of property that wasn't nearly as ideal, but it was at least affordable. It was in a low-lying part of town, uh, but it was still the only thing that they could find, the only thing that they could afford. They did their best putting together this nice little one-roomed, framed uh, little church house. And they worshipped on it on a Wednesday night in 1876. And it was just a wonderful, spirit-filled time of worship as they all came together. Even people from other churches came to celebrate the achievement of this church being built. But that night, oh my goodness, that night, the rain started to come down. Torrential hurricane force winds were battering down on this little North Carolina town. People battened down the hatches. They stayed indoors. No one wanted to, to go out in this massive torrential storm. The next morning as people opened up their homes and they surveyed the damage. They could see crops that were damaged and, and animals that were killed in this flood that ravished this small North Carolina town. But imagine their surprise, true story, as they looked out and they saw that church that they had built floating through the streets of town. It was so well constructed and so well built that when the floodwaters came in, instead of going through the wood, it just gently picked it up off of its brick pilings and started to float down the streets of town. It was almost as if the church had a mind of its own because as it, as it was floating down the main street in town, it all of a sudden turned left. The, 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 the waters weren't turning left, but true story, the, the, the church just kind of turned left. 
People of the church were out there with poles and with ropes and trying to do whatever they could to stop this structure, to make sure it didn't run over anybody or destroy any other house. The church continued to, to make another turn. And then as mysteriously as it had started, it just stopped. The church just stopped floating. It finally just settled there as the floodwaters receded. And true story, the, the, the waters as they receded kind of got the church to turn a little bit, about a 90-degree angle. And it was interesting because as it turned, it was facing the street where the church would stay. The building then stopped, and it exists in that very same place today. And as the floodwaters receded, the people of Swan Quarter, North Carolina, they were amazed at what they saw. You see, the church ended up nestled on that piece of land that they originally wanted to buy. But remember, that shrewd, miserly landowner refused to sell it to them. Finally, now, he did at a very fair price. He, he sold the church, gave it to the Methodist, and the church still sits there today. There's a big plaque commemorating this amazing journey of God. The church is now known as Providence United Methodist Church, right on a Prima location in Main Street in Swan Quarter, North Carolina, and there's a huge plaque that boasts the church moved by the hand of God. How are you being moved by God? Are you? I know that God is moving in this place. I love this story because it parallels my own life, that God brings about change. We see up here all of the instruments, suitcases and boxes being packed, instruments of change. God, God brings about change in our lives. Sometimes it's very subtle. Sometimes like moving a church to one spot in town to another is pretty obvious. As God mysteriously took a, a small town church on a wet and wild ride through town, we can see the supernatural consequences of what God is doing. And I can't speak for you, but I know that my life has felt like that a lot. Where you feel like you're just kind of going where God's taking you. Sometimes kicking and screaming, sometimes just in total surrender. Sometimes just going along for the ride because we don't have the energy to fight it. But it's interesting because when we look back, we can see the fingerprints of God all over our lives. I call them FOG moments. It's just a little acronym, FOG, Fingerprints of God. When I was 12, my family moved from Fort Lauderdale to, to Powder Springs, Georgia, out in Cobb County. My dad worked for Lockheed, and his job moved him up to, to Marietta. We looked at tons of houses. I remember going with my parents, tagging along as they looked at all of these houses, but they finally settled on one. Looking back, I can see the fingerprints of God. My mom told me that, that now that we had moved, she was going to start taking us to church. I hated her for that. I just went kicking and screaming. There was no way she was going to drag me to church. But as it turns out, we moved next door to a guy who was about my age, and he and I started throwing the football in my front yard, and he invited me to their church youth group. Looking back, I can see the fingerprints of God. I went to college at University of Georgia, and 
graduated with a degree in broadcast journalism, and I had a, my, my dream job as a TV sports anchorman. I was walking into Kroger one day, and the youth minister from our church was walking out as I was walking in, and he stopped me, and he said, you know, I know that you've been coming to our church. Would you be interested in working with the youth group at our church? I didn't want to do that. But, but before I could say no, I just said, okay, that's fine. Looking back, I can see, though, the fingerprints of God. I remember that day when, when I met these teenagers and, and was going through a Bible study, and, and I didn't even know anything about the Bible, trying to lead these young kids. But I, I look back, and I can see the fingerprints of God. It's been so cool to, to meet so many of you already, and you shared the fog moments, the fingerprints of God moments, of how you ended up here at Chapel Roswell. And you can see the work that God is doing in your life. And the cool thing is that God is still continually and continuously at work in our lives. God is not one and done. And so in the scripture that we read from this morning in Jeremiah, the prophet is talking to the Israelites. You see, they had been defeated and they were in exile. They were away from their homeland. But he writes to the people, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, plans not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. You see, Jeremiah was writing to people who were defeated and they were down and they were deflated. They had been defeated by the Babylonians and exiled. Now, now, now Joe, why, why would you exile the people? Well, when nations would defeat other nations, very obviously, in, in a lot of cases, they would just send them out into exile, okay? They would try to kind of de de decrease the, the nationality of the people, and, and they were hoping that the Jews would end up settling in an exiled land, and they would eventually lose their national identity, and in many cases, that happened. But also, they would take the brightest and the best minds of the Israelites, and they would put them at work for them, in this case, the Babylonians. And so the Jewish people in Babylon, they were caught between two worlds, the, the, the new place where they had been exiled to and, and the new land that they now called home. But they longed for their homeland, the land which they had left behind. And so Jeremiah, the prophet, he's offering them hope. He's saying that God has a plan for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. He's offering hope, letting them know that, you know what, you feel down and deflated and defeated, but you have not been forgotten. That God has plans for you, that God is at work in your midst, even when you don't feel it, even when you don't recognize it. This verse is very often used to try to cheer someone up when maybe they're going through a tough time. I, I remember there was a, a girl that I dated, true story, and, and she, she broke up with me, and, and she gave me a card. I, it's kind of an interesting card. I didn't know Hallmark made a card for I'm breaking up with you, but <laughs> apparently there, there was something close to that. And, and she wrote in it, Joe, I'm going to miss you. <laughs> true story. But she put Jeremiah 2911. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Interesting. <laughs> I guess it's promising to 
to have that hope and to have that good news that regardless of what we're facing or experiencing or going through, that, that, that God is at work pulling all of these things together. But we have to dig a little bit deeper into the context of the scripture and then we gain an even richer understanding. Jeremiah 29, four through seven, this is the, the passage preceding the, the, the 29, 11, okay? This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem into Babylon. Okay, so God is now giving them more uh, of what he wants them to know. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. In other words, he's saying, you know what? I'm on the move. I'm at work, but it's not going to be instant. It's not going to be a quick fix. Bear with me, God is saying. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. So, so now all of a sudden, Babylon, their huge enemy, God is saying that, 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 that this is now going to be your home. Pray for it, because if it prospers, God said, you too will prosper. God is telling them that he is on the move in them and with them and through them, even when they don't sense it, even when they don't understand it. And through Jeremiah, God is fulfilling some amazing prophecies on behalf of the people, but he's saying it's not going to happen right away, not according to your time schedule. In fact, he goes on to say, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise and bring you back to this place. So in other words, you're going to return to your homeland. But it might not be on your time frame. It might not be on your time schedule. And like I said, this verse is often quoted during a time of trial to, to encourage and, and to, to point to the promise of God. But even in the midst of that promise, God it is saying, it may not be according to your time schedule. It may not look exactly as you want it to look. It may not happen exactly as you think it should happen. God is dealing with a particular promise that he had given them. Seventy years, wow, that's a long time. And so God is saying that this, this, this need, this, this desire, this want that you want to be prospered by God, it's not financial, it's not national, but rather it's spiritual. God is telling the people that they're going to wait, but God will return them to their homeland. And, and the truth is, all throughout Scripture, waiting is a continuous theme throughout Scripture. Waiting. I don't like that. I struggle with that. I don't like to wait. I want to know what's going to happen and what it's going to look like and when it's going to take place. Jeremiah says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. There was a retired gentleman whose wife had recently passed away. He moved into a 
retirement community, like a retirement apartment, basically. And it was a real lush place, and he had all of the amenities that anyone could ever want. And, and his first night there, he was walking down the long hall on his way to the dining hall for dinner. Coming the other way was a, an elderly woman who was hunched over on a walker. And as they got closer, this woman stopped and looked at him in the eyes. She kind of gazed at him up and down. And she pointed to him and said, you look like my third husband. <laughs> the, the, the man didn't know how to respond. He asked, oh, oh, really, how many times have you been married? And she said, twice. <laughs> yeah, it, it's still coming. It'll, some of you will get it in a little bit later on. And, in the journeys of life, some things just don't seem to make sense. But are we placing our trust and our faith and our hope in a God who is for us and not against us? Ecclesiastes 3.1 back in the Old Testament says that there is a season for everything. It was mere weeks ago that I received a call from my district superintendent. That's kind of the boss that we have in the Methodist Church. And he said, you're going to be moving to Roswell. A few weeks after that, I stood in front of my congregation in Canton and shared the news with them. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to stay and a time to move. And, and as painful and as uncertain as change can be, God brings that about in our lives. But the truth is that God will never lead us or call us or take us to a place where the Holy Spirit isn't already there preparing for our arrival. That God is on the move. It was interesting, our household, we found another house, and we've been blessed by getting to know so many of you, and we look forward to, to getting to know you more and more. There's a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. Maybe in your story right now, you're going through a painful place, or maybe where you are right now, God is orchestrating some sort of change that might be massive or might be seemingly small. Maybe in your story right now, you're going through a season of peace. Things seem to be going really well. Maybe in your story right now, there's turbulence and there's change and there's transition. And your story will, will begin and then will continue to change as God reveals more and more and unveil more and more. But our lives are a story of surrender. We acknowledge that God is in control and his plans are greater than our own agendas or desires. Where we are now is the result of experiences and, and victories and defeats, disappointments and joys. But it's a place where God is evident and present and working, even if we won't understand it until much later. There have been a lot of times when I've been through change that honestly at the time were painful and I, I didn't understand it. But, but I can look back and I can see the fingerprints of God. Eric Lee is a good friend of mine, and 
Six years ago when I moved to Canton, Eric was the pastor of a church in Cartersville. And he and I, along with four other pastors, would meet once a week for breakfast. About two and a year, two and a half years after that, Eric brought us all here to Roswell. And he showed us this chapel before it had been changed and transformed. It looked a lot, looked a, a lot different back then, but from day one. I've heard and I've caught the vision of Chapel Roswell. And I'm so honored to be here and now. And I know maybe some of you are, are nervous about times of transition. We've had that nervousness in our household. But we know that God is sovereign. We know that God is leading us and guiding us. And that God has plans for us. And the prophet Jeremiah is saying, even when you feel insignificant or unloved or unlovable, you are neither. That God is on the move. They were exiled. They were helpless. They were hopeless. But God was doing a mighty work in them and with them and through them. There were two teenage buddies who were walking down a rural dirt road, and they came upon a fence post, and on top of it was a turtle, of all things. And one of them looked at his buddy and he said, how, how in the world did the turtle get on that fence post? And his friend said, I, I don't know, but he obviously had a lot of help. <laughs> Sometimes we feel like that. Like I said, the will of God is not leading us to a place where his presence is not already there waiting for our arrival. And the good news is that what God is calling us to do, he's not calling us to do it on our own. The gospel, the, the good news says that God is not saying, you better clean up your act and then I'll love you. God is not saying, you better be a better person in order to earn my good graces. Because the story is we can't. We need Jesus because we aren't able to save ourselves. We aren't able to truly love on our own or forgive on our own. We aren't able to truly experience joy on our own. But through the gospel, God's story intersects with yours and with mine. And God takes on your story and my story as his story, that we're a part of God's plan. For I know the plans I have for you. Here's what I want to do. I want to read this passage again. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. But when I, sit, when, I, when I come to the part of, I know the plans I have for you, I'm going to leave it blank. And I want you to publicly just, just, just shout out your name. In other words, I'll say, for I know the plans I have for Joe, declares the Lord. Okay, can we, can we do this together? Some of you have to wake up for this, okay? But we're going to make it through it. I promise we're going to get through this. For I know the plans I have for, declares the Lord. Friends, up here, I've got some wooden crosses. These were actually made in the Holy Land. They're made of olive wood. And during our, our closing song this morning, if you want to, I, I invite you just to, to come forward and to take a cross Honestly, very often when I'm speaking to a new group or something, I'll just have one in my hands and I'll just kind of wrap my hands around it. It's, 
kind of neatly contoured to fit in your hand really well. And, and I just invite you to take this as a tangible reminder of God's amazing grace, of the fact that you are so loved by God, that regardless of where you've been or what you've done, you're never beyond the outstretched arms of God's grace. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Will you pray with me? Dear most gracious and loving God, we thank you for the plans and the purpose that you have for each of us, that regardless of what we think of ourselves, we are of such worth in your eyes. Lord, the scripture tells us that we were wonderfully made. May the Holy Spirit allow us to understand just how loved we are by you. That, Lord, the gospel is good news, not just good views of Jesus. That we thank you for the ways in which you have been at work in our lives, for the ways in which you have forgiven us, for the ways in which you have poured out your mercy and your grace. Father, I pray that we can look back in our lives and we can see the fingerprints of God. And that for many of us, this moment here and now, in the future may be something upon which we look back and see the fingerprints of God. I pray that we can recognize the fact that we are so loved by you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.